If you were to ask me, Pastor Jeff, what is the greatest need in the church today? I would not hesitate to answer with this statement, a biblical worldview. We need a biblical worldview. We need to see the world and life and everything in it, people, things, the creation, everything, with a biblical worldview, which means through the lens of Scripture, which means through the eyes of God. We need to see everything through the eyes of God. The only way you're going to do that is is to get your worldview, your beliefs, the way you look at people and things and everything through the Word of God. How does the Word of God see it? How does the Word of God teach me to look at it? How does the Word of God uh, inform me to look at people? Do I look at them disdainfully? Do I look at them judgmentally? Do I look at them in a discriminating sense? Or do I look at them the way Jesus would look at them? The only way that's going to happen is to be in, is your whole belief system be informed by the Word of God. So today I want to talk to you about how you view creation, how you view the universe, because we live in it. Amen? We live on earth. So I call this today, God made it all. Can we say that together? God made it all. Now, you may say, well, you're preaching the choir here, Pastor Jeff. You would be surprised how many people don't have a biblical worldview who are sitting in a church. As I shared with you the first Sunday I started this series, when a poll was taken of over 2,000 professing Christians, only 9% of them, 9% emerged with a biblical worldview. So that means the culture is teaching Christians. Society is teaching Christians. The world is teaching Christians. And so my burden is we get a biblical worldview. So I'm going to look at the very first verse in the whole Bible. Genesis 1-1. And then we're going to look at Hebrews 11-3. But what does Genesis 1-1 say? It's so short, we can preach it together. Let's, let's all read it out loud. You ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Hebrews 11-3 expands on that and says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. What you see was created by what you can't see. But just because something is invisible doesn't mean it's not real. The wind is invisible, but it's real. God is invisible. Jesus said, God is invisible. But he said, you want to know what God is like? Look at me, I'm visible. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word. I pray that you will give to all of us, myself included, Lord. I put myself in here. Help us to develop a stronger biblical worldview than we've ever had. Help our minds to be completely saturated by the word of God. Help our eyes to see things through the eyes of God. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, not only this congregation, but everybody listening by radio across the nation, that you will give believers a biblical worldview because then and only then can we touch our world and change it. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a shout out to your neighbor and say, I believe God heard his prayer, so look out. Amen. 
The late, well-known physicist and cosmologist Stephen Hawking once theorized that humans may only have a hundred years left on earth before facing extinction. His secular view of the end of the world is based on his assumption that the earth's resources will soon be depleted. That's what Hawking believed. And as natural events culminate, they will lead to the demise of humanity. And he died believing this. Hawking's musings about the end of the world were rooted in his atheistic worldview. That's how he came to the conclusions he came to, because of his atheistic worldview. Hawking saw the whole universe through the eyes of an atheist. There is no God, there is no creator, it all just happened. Now, the Bible also predicts the world will end, but for very different reasons. The Apostle Peter warned long ago that the end of all things is at hand. But unlike Hawking, the Bible predicts that the demise of earth won't happen because of the waning ability to sustain life, but will end with the long-awaited return of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the difference in worldviews. An atheistic worldview saw things one way. A biblical worldview sees things completely differently. A lot of people don't understand, Christians I'm talking about, that your victory, your spiritual victory, your spiritual growth, your victory in this world against the world flesh and the devil swings on the hinge of your worldview, how you view everything, where the world came from, what the meaning of life is, what the nature of truth is, where truth can be found. Is there an afterlife? Why am I here? All these questions are answered by your worldview. Your worldview. All those questions are answered by your worldview. And everybody in here has one. I don't care who you are, how old you are. By the time you're four or five, you've got a worldview. As you grow, it depends on who you listen to, who has your ear. Who do you respect as somebody who can speak into your life? Who is talking to you about the things I just mentioned, where the world came from, who you are, what is, what is the meaning of life, all those things. Your worldview is formed and shaped by who you gave your ear and your mind to, who you listened to, and who you believed. What you decided was true about life. What you decided was true. That shaped your worldview. And I'm going to tell you the number one most important foundation stone of a biblical worldview. Numero uno, the number one most important foundation stone is how you answer the question, where did everything come from? That's the most important. That one right there. Is evolution right? Did everything come into being following some big bang in outer space kajillions of years ago? And all that we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell came from that? Or did, did all life begin with a single-celled organism in some ancient sea that by endless time and crazy chance developed into a multi-celled organism that eventually evolved into a life form that could live on land? And out of that life form, everything else evolved? Is that where you came from and I came from and everything else came from? 
And even if you believe that, where did the original single-celled organism come from? And where did the earth and sea that it lived in come from? Your worldview will be shaped by your answer to that question more than any single thing. So I'm going to tell you what the most important verse in the whole Bible is. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, it's John 3.16. I don't think so. John 3.16 is the best known, but I think the most important verse in the entire Bible, we've already read it, is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Elohim is the Hebrew word used right there, which creator God. In the beginning, Elohim, God created. Ex nihilo, something out of nothing. He spoke and it was. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the universe, all the planets, all the solar systems, all the stars. In the beginning, God created those heavens and the earth, period. You say, well, why is that the most important verse in the Bible, Pastor Jeff? Because if you reject Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible is irrelevant. Because the rest of the Bible builds on Genesis 1-1. The first book in the Bible informs us of how our world began. The last book in the Bible tells us how it's all going to end. But if you reject Genesis 1-1, then you, how can you receive any of the other claims of the Bible that are supernatural claims? How will you ever believe that God overshadowed a virgin girl at about 15 years old and the Holy Spirit conceived in her the Son of God supernaturally so that when Jesus was born, he had an earthly mother, but he had a heavenly daddy. How can you accept that if you reject Genesis 1-1? Genesis 1-1 sets the stage for everything else that unfolds in Scripture, period. Our text in Hebrews says, by faith we understand the worlds were framed. Now that word framed is so powerful, it means prepared, fitted, joined together, joined together. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared, fitted, joined together by the word of God. How do you understand that? By faith. So that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible, we're told right there explicitly in Genesis 1-1 and right here in other places in the Bible that an invisible God created everything visible, everything that we see. All matter was created by God. Everything we see here, taste, touch, and smell came from the word of God. It was created out of nothing. God spoke and said, let there be and it was. Period. If you believe that, you've got a biblical worldview. If you don't believe that, you do not have a biblical worldview and you need to check out your salvation. John's gospel goes even further to describe the involvement that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had in creation. All things, John says, were made through him. The him is Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So when God said, let there be, the Son of God was there, and he amended it, and the Holy Ghost brought it about. God spoke it, the Son amended it, the Holy Spirit executed it. Amen. All things were made through him. 
Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, the solar systems, everything out there flowed through the fingertips of the one who died on the cross for us. Do you get that? That's powerful. Now, the word made, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Made means came into being, literally came into being out of nowhere, came into being. It was Jesus didn't work with something existing like we work with wood to make something or metal to make something. We work with something existing, which is the only way that we can do it. We can't speak and make something appear out of nothing. We've got to work with something that's already there, but God worked with something that wasn't there. God said, let there be, and it was. And, and so you can read the verse this way. <clears throat> All things came into being through him. And without him, nothing came into being that came into being. Wow. The Bible says that God, Elohim, created the heavens, the earth, and all that is in them in six normal length, 24-hour days. His completed creation, he said over and over, was very good. And all the original animals, including dinosaurs, and the first two humans, Adam and Eve, were created in that time period. Brontosaurus, Stegosaurus, Allosaurus, Triceratops, they were all there. Life was perfect. It was unbelievably beautiful. We, we can't imagine what the Garden of Eden looked like before the fall of man into sin. It was perfect because the earth was not yet affected by the curse. There was no death. There was no violence. There was no carnivorous activity. Everything that God made was, were plant eaters. They were vegetarians. Now, I'm not telling you you need to go be one because I'm going to eat bacon sometime this week. I promise you. <clears throat> but here's the deal. Everything in the, in the original creation of God, nothing attacked each other. There was no carnivorous activity. There was no, there was no animal against animal. It was not like it is today. There was no bloodshedding, none of that. Everything ate plants. Everything. There was no death, violence, disease, sickness, and there was no fear. None of those things had any part in the original creation that God made. Now, follow me a minute. I'm going to get a little scientific with you, and then I'm going to, I'm going to home in on the Word of God. But we need to think as well as feel. Amen? amen. Come on, everybody. If, you, if God gave you a brain, raise your hand and say amen. All right. <clears throat> One of the many scientific proofs that God made everything comes from a branch of science called information theory. Stay with me. Information theory deals with information. And information theory attests to the fact that God made everything just by the study of DNA. DNA contains your hereditary material and your genes. It's what makes you unique. Everybody listening to me right now has a unique DNA fingerprint that you leave everywhere you go. You're going to leave it in the chair when you leave today, your DNA. It's in your hair, it's in your sweat, it's in your skin cells, it's on your clothes, it's on anything you touch, and it has become the scourge and curse of criminals. Because now we have DNA testing. We can find out who was somewhere 10, 20 years ago by DNA left on something the crime was involved in. Now, a good way to remember DNA is, is not deoxyribonucleic acid, not easy to say, and I think I got that right, deoxyribonucleic acid. Here's a better way. Definitely no accident. 
Okay? <laughs> yeah, definitely no accident. Because our DNA is a miraculous machine. It contains three million bases, 20,000 genes, and 23 pairs of chromosomes. It contains more information than the greatest supercomputer. Your DNA has more information than the greatest supercomputer. Let me blow your mind. If you were to pack enough DNA to fill the head of a pen, the amount of information in it would be equivalent to a stack of books from here to the moon 240 times. I'm going to read that again. Some of you are looking at me glazed over. I don't blame you. That's a glaze over statement. I'm going to read it again. This is, this is the miracle of what God made. If you were to pack enough DNA to fill the head of a pen, the amount of information in that would be equivalent to a stack of books reaching all the way to the moon 240 times. The information <clears throat> crammed into the head of a pen in DNA. Watch this. That means DNA was programmed. There is no way crazy time and chance could program with complex information a DNA molecule that's in every human being. It was programmed like a computer by a programmer. You look the way you look because it was programmed. You are the way you are because it was programmed. No wonder David said, I am, I am fantastically made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not evolved, made. So who was the programmer? Capital P. Without question, the information in our DNA could never have happened randomly by time and chance. Never. Never. How does a single-celled organism crawling out of some ancient sea, eventually evolve into human beings who have a DNA molecule that is so programmed with so much information, it could fill books that reach to the moon. No, something random doesn't program. Only something intentional programs. The programmer would have to have had staggering intelligence in order to create and program the incredible, just the DNA molecule. We're not talking about all the rest of God's amazing creation, just the DNA molecule. The Bible in Genesis 1-1 tells us where it came from. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including the DNA molecule. What a powerful, mighty God in fact, the complexity of all of life proclaims that an intentional intelligence was behind it all. And that should be our worldview. We're not living in something that was by random chance and infinite time, didn't come about by chance and time. We are living in a world that was intentionally created by a highly intelligent, fantastically ingenious God. Yeah. I love this, Psalms 19, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. They don't proclaim the glory of evolution, they proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak, night after night. 
They make him known. The skies, the heavens are preaching 24-7. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. This is what he's made. Night after night, they make him known. Their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Paul said, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see, clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God because he clearly made it. Now, you know what that means? That means, secondly, Genesis 1-1 flies in the face of evolution. Which, by the way, is a theory. And it's a theory that's losing ground as I speak. Evolution is a worldview. We were all taught evolution. as I was taught evolution as a kid. You came from primates, Jeff. And so I acted like I came from primates. You're, you're an advanced primate. You're an advanced monkey. Jeff, I was taught that in school. Yeah, I was shown all the charts, uh, the, the whole succession of things, you know, of, of how we evolved into finally becoming human beings. And my great, great, great ancestors were primates. Evolution has shaped the worldview of billions of people since it first emerged in 1859 in the famous book by Charles Darwin we all know about on the origin of species. Now, watch this, everybody. Here's why worldview is important. Because if you accept the worldview of evolution, that we came by time and chance, millions of years ago, single-celled organism was our great ancestor, crawled out of some ancient primordial sea, and eventually grew legs and got into trees and became primates and finally human beings, and everything we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell came from evolution and not from a creator Elohim God. When you believe that worldview, you've got to embrace the beliefs that go with it. Well, what goes with it? Well, here's what goes with it. Atheism. There's no creator God. You've got to embrace that. There there is no creator God. So if you're an evolutionist, then you've got to say, I don't believe in God. There's no God. You've got to believe we're all cosmic accidents caused by a cold, random, evolutionary process. Not a loving God that created us intentionally. If you're an evolutionist, if you buy into that, there's no absolute truth, no morality, no accountability to a God after I die so I can live however I want because I will never answer to a God at any judgment after I die. Here's one that gets me. If you're an evolutionist and you believe we all came from time and chance, then we're all alone. You're alone in a meaningless universe. There's no transcendent purpose. No transcendent meaning to anything. You're alone in a cold, calculating, apathetic, meaningless universe. And we wonder why so many young people commit suicide or drown their lives out in drugs and alcohol and crazy immorality. We wonder why. Let me tell you why. If you believe you came from monkeys and there is no God and you're not on purpose, you're not intentional, nothing made you, but you're a cosmic accident, what, what meaning do you have? What purpose do you have? How can you wake up in the morning and say, wow, I'm cranked about my life? The worldview spawned by evolution 
shows how important a worldview is because the theory of evolution has fueled some of the greatest atrocities in modern history. Did you know that? The theory of evolution, Darwin's theory of evolution, has spawned some of the greatest atrocities in modern history, the 20th century alone. For instance, Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest had a huge influence on Nazi race policies. Survival of the fittest, in case you need a little uh, rebriefing, is the notion that over time, evolution weeds out the weak that eventually die off and favors the strong that survive and thrive. So evolution has a way of getting rid of some species that are weak and they don't make it. They don't survive. They're not the fittest. Because they're not the fittest, the strongest, and the bestest, they die off. And evolution keeps the ones that are strong. And that's how evolution carries the cycle of life down the road of time. Hitler believed in the survival of the fittest. He believed in a superior race, the German race, and that he could help evolution along through what he called the final solution. The extermination of approximately 6 million Jews and 4 million other people who belonged to what the Nazis considered inferior races, not the fittest. So we're just going to help evolution along. And we're going to get rid of the races that are not the fittest so that we can take our rightful place in the evolutionary scheme. Stalin, who killed 30 million of his own people. Karl Marx, who gave us Marxism, communism. Mussolini and other murderous dictators that killed millions and millions, about 200 million people in the 20th century, were also Darwinian evolutionists. Because, you know, if I'm not going to answer to God... If this is all there is, and I'm in the evolutionary scheme of things, and, and, and the survival of the fittest is at play, I'm going to get rid of the weakest and help evolution along. And I alone, the strongest and the fittest and the bestest, will take my rightful place. And that's the way they killed millions and millions of people. Your world view matters. How you view people and life and God and eternity and heaven and hell and salvation and the Bible and truth and morality, they all matter and they all flow through the lens of your worldview. And your worldview is either shaped by the world, you either have a worldly worldview or you have a biblical worldview, which is a heavenly worldview, which is a God worldview, which is seeing life and everything in it through the lens of God's eyes. But now let's look at the glorious flip side, the worldview of creationism. God made it all. If you embrace the Genesis 1-1 account of creation, it gives you a worldview that says three things. I'm going to go over this quickly, but catch this now. If you have a biblical worldview, if you, if you embrace Genesis 1-1 and all of the supernatural accounts of history and everything that has evolved up to now in the eyes of the Bible through the lens of Scripture, if you have that view, a biblical worldview the number one, here's the way you're going to see things. That God that created the universe created me. The God that created the universe created me. And I'm going to just get real crude here. God don't make no junk. Amen? The God that made the universe made me. Can we say that together? The God that made the universe made me. 
It says, so God created man in his own image. Have you ever studied Genesis 1 and 2 and the, and the account of creation? And it says God spoke and the birds came into existence. He spoke and the, spoke and the mammals came into existence. He spoke and marine life came into existence. He spoke and vegetation came into existence. But when it came to the creation of man, he didn't speak. He had a conference with the Godhead. He said, let us make man. And everything paused and something special took place because he didn't just say, let there be man. He paused and he said, I believe God the Father spoke to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Let us, plural. That's a Trinitarian verse. It's, it's, it's a confirmation that there is a, a Godhead, a Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Let us make man. And it says God, God specially scooped earth out of the ground. He formed and fashioned and shaped like a sculptor, man. He put special attention on man. Why? Because human beings are the crowning glory of the creation of God. Let us make man, and it gets even better, in our image so that he will reflect us. He's not saying that you're little gods. You're not. But we are in the image of God, in the image of God. So in the image of God, he created him. David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So here's what it tells us. I have value. I have great value. How much value? God so loved the world. Human beings that he didn't hold back his only begotten son to be the death sacrifice, the lamb, the blood sacrifice for us. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him wouldn't perish but everlasting life. How much value did we have? He didn't withhold his very best. There's no better than God the son, the sacrificed lamb who took our judgment and took our place and, and, was, and was judged and he experienced the wrath of God in our place so that we could be declared the righteousness of God in him. That's how valuable, that's how valuable. So the God that created the universe created me. The second thing you'll, do, you'll have with a biblical worldview is this conviction. We were created on purpose for a purpose. I'm not living in a random, meaningless universe. I was created on purpose for a purpose. Let me just read one verse to you. Ephesians 2.10. God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us new people so that, so that has to do with purpose, so that. Why did he do it? Why were you born again? So that we would spend our lives doing the good things he had already planned for us to do. Good works. He, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And, and he, he ordained that we would walk in good works. Every time you pray, it's a good work. Every time you serve somebody in the name of Jesus, it's a good work. If you're an usher, if you're a greeter, if you're a parking lot attendant, but you're out there doing it for the glory of God. Paul said, let all that you do be done to the glory of God. When you do it for the glory of God through Christ Jesus, it's a good work. And, and when I appear preaching, I'm doing a good work. You sitting there soaking in the word of God and then going out and living out the word of God, that's a good work. Good works don't save you, but good works testify that you have been saved. We were chosen for good works. We, God laid his hand on us to do good works. So I was created not by random accident, 
but on purpose, for a purpose. And we say that together, we were created. Let's say I, I was created. Come on, I was created on purpose, for a purpose. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? Yes, amen. I love purpose. I love purpose and I hate futility and living life. You don't even, listen, it's so more important to know why than what or how. Once you learn why you're here, the what and the how flow out of that. I know why I'm here. I was created on purpose for a purpose. Let me just give you one of those purposes. Not just good works, but we were created. Here's the third thing and the last thing. We were created for relationship with God. God hardwired. This is how we're different from animals. Because animals can't talk to God. You can converse with God. He can converse with you. The Bible says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. That means the koinonia, the intimate relationship of the Holy Spirit. You're relating to the Holy Spirit that is in you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That was one of Paul's benedictions in one of his letters. But listen to this. For God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Christ Jesus. Now, most Christians, you say, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. How do you know? Because I got my ticket to fly. I know I'm going up because I came down in an altar call and I said, Jesus, forgive me. But, but if that's all you understand about your salvation, let me deepen it right now. You were saved so that you could intimately relate and have relationship with and fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Intimate relationship. You know him, he knows you. You walk with him, you talk with him. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He knew God, he related with God. Paul said that I might know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I might know him intimately. We are created for a relationship with God. That's one of the reasons we're here, relationship with God. I was telling the praise team, I wasn't going to share this, but I will just to give you an example. Two nights ago, I got into bed, and I had just been reading about the creation, getting ready for this message. And I've been reading about the incredible creation and DNA and all that stuff. And I was blown away. So all of a sudden, I'm late. I've never done this. I've been saved since before a lot of you were born. I can't believe I'm saying that. But I am. And I've never done this. But I'm laying in bed. Cindy was visiting her daughter uh, and her new little grandbaby, which she has fallen in love with, that's competing with me. And... Um, so I'm alone, and, 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 I, and I lifted my hands, and I was thanking God. And all of a sudden, folks, I started clapping to the Lord. Just clapping to the Lord. And I started thinking, why do you clap for somebody? It's applause, because they've done good at something. And in and, and all of my Christian life, I've only clapped unto the Lord in a crowd. Now, I've worshipped him a million times with my hands raised alone. But I never had a clap session where I clapped and gave God applause 
for who he was and what he's done. And let me tell you, it took off and I had me a moment. I'm telling you, I had me a moment because all of a sudden I'm giving the Lord a hand. There's nobody else there. And all, and, and, and I had a visit. I mean, it was like the spirit of God just came upon me and I thought, why have I never thought of this? Because you're, you're applauding somebody who's done a good job. Well, who's done a better job than God, right? And so I was doing this. And so it occurred to me that that's part of relating with him. We're called to fellowship with him. So I want you to stand with me. Now, I want you to say this with me. The God that created the universe created me. That's a biblical worldview. Second, say it with me. I was created on purpose for a purpose. That's a biblical worldview. Third, say with me. I was created for a relationship with God. That's a biblical worldview. No evolutionist is ever going to come up with that. And so try it sometime. Get along with God and just think about what he's done and just. And and just see. Because I've never done that. Well, I'm doing it more now. I did it this morning when I was getting ready to leave for church. Right? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Yeah. (laughs) So can we lift holy hands to the one that made us and the one who made all things? Let's just worship the great creator a moment. We worship him because of who he is. And Lord, we come into your presence with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. We praise you, Lord, that you are Elohim, the creator God that made all things. And you made us. And thank you, Lord, for opening our blinded eyes to show us that. We praise you for the magnificent complexity of even the DNA molecule, the information you programmed into it, the amazing universe around us. We praise you and we thank you. Let's just have a Thanksgiving moment here. Just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Come on, praise him, church. Thank you, Lord. 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 Oh, I think I just created some clappers. I think some of you are going to be clapping to the Lord. Try it. Try it in your living room when the kids are going crazy and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Just break into a clap fit. Just praise him. Just praise him. Amen. Amen. How many of you are glad you came to church this morning? And it's so good to see. I think we there's more now than we've seen in the nine o'clock since COVID hit. So uh, I'm so glad you're here. And all of you watching by streaming, we love you. And I pray that the Holy Ghost just fills your living room and fills you and encourages you and ask the Lord, Lord, when do I go back to church? Because it's great watching online. I'm so glad we have three cameras, three new cameras and 
God's got us ready, but there's nothing like being here with people with skin on them. Amen. So we love you and we pray God's blessing right where you are. And you're, you're a part of Turning Points family and God bless you. Amen.